Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of You Press Play Sports Edition. I'm your host, business manager Joseph Acosta, here with photo editor Eston Parker and sports editor Richard Pereira. I'll start with you, Richard. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great. <laughs> Eston, how about you? Feeling pretty good. All right, we're feeling good. We got the hats, we got the caps ready. We got we got to go get the caps. We got to get the caps ready. If we say anything ever about cap, Essence got the cap. Richard's ready. We're ready to get started. Let's go ahead. We're going to go right into it with FAU baseball. Recently, they're hit a little bit of a slide recently, losing two out of three to South Florida last game, being a heartbreaking 6-5 loss on a walk-off. But, you know, I feel like this is entering an important stretch of the season for the Owls because they've lost a lot of games recently, lost a lot of series, but this is the chance where we get to see what the team is made out of. Uh, Richard, what do you see so far in these losses? It's more or less, it's, it feels like a learning curve for the team. It really is unfortunate that they lost on the last day, on the last game of the series, 6-5, like off a game-winning homer by USF. They just got to be careful by not peaking uh, too early. Like yeah. after that win against the Gators, it feels like they've been on they've been on a bad stretch of losing games, only winning the one. It's uh it's frustrating, but I I know they're capable of doing much better than they've been doing recently. So we'll see what happens as we go down this road as we go down the road for the team. Yeah, we'll definitely see some more improvement. You know, it's rare that we ever see FAU really get shut out like they did in the second of those three games where they lost zero to four to uh, South Florida. FAU was only held to two hits in the entire game. Compare that to the game on Sunday where they had they had nine hits, but South Florida hit the got the one hit that mattered in the end. Eston, what do you think FAU can learn from this stretch of games? Because they've lost three out of four. I think if, and similar to what Richard said, this is, this seems to be a bit of a learning curve time. And I think if they can, you know, not, they, they need to remember that they are, they're, they're good enough to beat teams like Florida and a team like Miami. I mean, most of the guys were a part of the team that essentially dominated UM last year at FAU. I'm, I'm hoping that this week against UM, actually, I believe the game is tomorrow. Um, I I have confidence that they might be able to pull this one off tomorrow, um, considering it's a home game. They've had a bad run of games, and I, I'd really like to see the bats open up. Um, that's been one big difference I've been noticing when watching them the past few games is that, you know, Early in the season, we were talking about how seemingly everyone had a live bat. Everyone was hitting very well. We haven't been seeing that very much um, in the past couple of weeks. So, if they can, you know, go back to the go back to the basics and essentially say, "Listen, you know, we're we're obviously a good enough team to compete with these elite level schools. We we have the talent that's there, and also I'm they're still a really young team." So um, if they can get a good little streak going, start, hopefully hopefully starting with UM tomorrow, I think this is – it's not do or die time yet. I, I'm not too worried, honestly. Um, but if this 
if these if these scores continue the way that they've been going, uh, essentially, let's see where we're at next week before we raise any alarms. Yeah, I feel like FAU baseball has entered this part of the season where they're getting a good game from hitting, not a good game for pitching. Good game for pitching, not a good game for hitting. What they need to do is put together a complete game. You know, hate to use the pitching term, but they need a complete game out of both sides, offense and defense. Um, you really just hope that the bats will come around. You know, I think they will because, again, it's rare that we're going to see FAU get offered in a whole game. Like, we're not going to see FAU get held to zero runs for the rest of the season. I can bank on that. But they just got to put together a complete game, you know. Um, they got some nice bats. They got some good home runs from Caleb Pendleton, Nolan Shaniel, who played out of their minds as freshmen. It's hard to remember that they're not, like, these veterans when they're actually, like, probably, like, a year or two younger than us. So it's – going to be interesting to see how they come around later in the season. But like I said, they just need to put together a whole nine innings, offense, defense, putting it together. Um, their next game is going to be against number 18 Miami on Tuesday, March 23rd. We'll have the recap for you. Um, we'll have the recap for you at the university press. Let's move on to men's and women's soccer. They had a series against old dominion. Um, on March 19th, the FAU women lost to Old Dominion 0-2, to and the men won on Sunday, March 21st, 1-0. to So, Richard, what did you see from that women's team in that loss? Yeah, it was a disappointing loss. Like, they were clearly lacking offensively. They only had two shots the whole game, and um, it's just a disappointing loss, and there's not there's not much that can be said other than they conceded two goals and they just didn't do enough off offensively to make up for that lack of efficiency on the defensive end. Yeah, and you talk about the shots that they had. Looking at the stats now, FAU women only had two shots and one on goal for the entire game. Old Dominion had 12 shots and four on goal. So, Esten, what do you think can be improved from this women's team based on this last game? I mean, you you just said it. We got to create more shots. Um, also, real quick, is my computer, like, really loud at the moment? Like, can y'all hear it running? Okay, cool. But anyways, I, like you said, JP, they got to create more opportunities. They're, I mean, to not have a single shot attempted in the first half. Yeah. Come on. That's wrong. So, um, I mean, we, like I said, got to create more opportunities. I mean, it's not like we're allowing – it's not like they're allowing three or four goals. Two goals – two-goal deficit or allowing one goal a half isn't – it's not that bad. So, if they can at least create chances, maybe that can help them defensively not, not concede goals. So Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Having those 12 shots, that's – being outshot 12 to 2 is not something that you want at all in any level of soccer. Um, it really just comes with, you gotta, get, you gotta get some opportunities. It's not like they've had a lot of shots on goal, but they just were, the keeper had a great game. They weren't getting any shots at all. And credit to Old Dominion's defense, they kept it away from them for a long time. But that's definitely something that has to be improved on for the women going into the next game. For the men, 
you know, they had a 1-0 win. Uh, it feels like um, a lot of these games are coming down to their defense, which, you know, we've talked about a lot on this uh, podcast. If you know us, we are a huge fan of FAU men's soccer defense. We think we are the best. We have, we've had the best defensive season. I think Richard said we had the best defensive season since like the 90s, which is insane. But, you know, this game, it came down to defense. Old Dominion had nine shots, six on goal, compared to FAU's 13 and five on goal. FAU had six saves. That's, what, that's essentially what you want from a defense that's supposed to be one of the best. So, Richard, um, this, this season has been a little up and down for the FAU men's soccer. Um, what do you think they can improve on as they keep going into conference play? First off, continue being aggressive offensively. Like you had 13 shots, five on target. That's good. Like you got to keep that up if you're going to be at the top of the conference, uh, top of conference USA. If you're, if you were actually going to make the NCAA tournament, which you have to top the, the, the conference to do so, you're pretty much going to have to do just that. Like keep that offense as high as you can, take as many shots as you can, have those shots be as accurate to goal as possible, and just keep playing good defense. Uh, and coming off those losses against uh, FIU in K- Kentucky, who the latter was ranked nationally, it this was a good bounce back performance from them. Eston, um, you know, we talked a little bit about what they can improve on, but what have you seen so far from this men's team that you're like, this stands out to me is this thing that they're going to be known for in Conference USA? Well, aside from the defensive stats that we've been, you know, we've been praising throughout the season so far, the goalkeeping, I think, has been very good. Um, Neil Strauber, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, again, had another pretty solid game. I mean, six saves, he's saving every shot that was accurate, that was on goal. It's pretty impressive. Um, it's, it's really good to see a, a goalie who, you know, when it's up to him, he's not going to let his defense down. Um, so that's been, that's been something that's really encouraging. And another thing is, again, like we've been saying, they, for the men's team, they've been creating the opportunities. If they're keeping the pressure on the opposing team throughout the game, that's, that's something that you really want to see. And I've also been noticing a, a lot of intensity from the players. You can, it's, there's a, there's a certain attitude. There's a swagger to them that I personally haven't seen, especially since I've, um, since I've been coming to school here. So that's, that's something that's really encouraging moving forward, especially as we get closer towards that, you know, the, the conference tournament. You know, and that's something that I think is going to come around. I think you, of course, you want to see some more offensive um, production from FAU, you know, you can have those 1-0 wins, but you'd like to have a little bit of a cushion there. But you definitely enjoy seeing the defense continue to play at an historic rate for an FAU men's soccer team. Um, just shout out to John Paul Raffles. He scored the long goal in the Old Dominion game in the 66th minute. And, you know, he's, I believe, in the top goal scorers, one of the top goal scorers for FAU this season so far. Yeah. Um, of course, Alonzo Coelho and Blake Dean and Ivan Malhenko all lead the team with two goals apiece. But the next game 
for FAU men's soccer will be March 27th. That is a Saturday versus South Carolina. That's a against the Fox. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known that was happening. I should have known as soon as I saw South Carolina, you was gonna say something. But yes, they are playing the South Carolina Gamecocks on Saturday. The FAU women's soccer team will be playing Friday versus Charlotte in Boca Raton. Both games will be in Boca. If you can go out and support the FAU soccer teams. Now we move on into national sports, and I don't know about you guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed this this uh, NCAA tournament. These games have all been exciting. They've all been real fun. We have Oral Roberts knocking off Ohio State and Florida, something only Urban Meyer has done. And you also have Loyola Chicago, who shouldn't have been ranked number eight, just giving teams the absolute business on, on defense. I knew it. Richard called it, you know. We're going to give Richard his props. because He said Loyola Chicago was the real deal. But what has stuck out to you so far in the NCAA tournament, Richard, other than Loyola Chicago just absolutely putting everybody in the torture rack? Like, you're hearing some unknown, uh, like, uh, little-known teams like Oral Roberts as, as the main example, like, surprising everybody in the bracket. Like, they're pretty much breaking everybody's bracket because <laughs> their name is so unknown that people thought they would be that heavy underdogs in the first round matchup and we see that they shocked everybody then we move on and they take out the gators it's this ncaa tournament has is very unique it's not your usual tournament without duke north carolina and all those well, they had north carolina who immediately got blown out by wisconsin but you're right they don't have a duke or a kentucky michigan state got knocked out in the first four. So that's opened up for schools like Abilene Christian, um, who beat Texas, <laughs> Oral Roberts, um, Oregon State, who knocked off uh, Oklahoma State. It's opened up for those lower seeded teams to make those runs because in a year where nothing was predictable, the NCAA tournament has been everything but predictable. Um, Esten, what team, if you have, what team, what teams have impressed you so far throughout this uh, NCAA tournament? You know, honestly, other than Oral Roberts, which, I mean, again, absolute props to them. They have done an exceptional job so far, and I'm not going to uh, go further into them more than anybody else has. But the one team that has been exciting for me to watch is Oregon. I mean, oh, yeah. they yeah. they just overwhelmed Iowa. They ran. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean they they really bought the quack to them. So um, I'm sorry, I I, I had to do it. But <laughs> hey man, that's kind of quacked up. Let's that's quacked up. Let's keep going. I mean, they did quack them up. So Oregon did. They've been a really fun team to watch. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the outcome of the Creighton Ohio game because. I'm going to call right now. The winner of that game will beat Gonzaga. Whoa. Waiting for it to happen. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can go that far, man. Gonzaga has been in cruise mode right now. Gonzaga is – I don't know. See, I think 
Like I see them be- making the final and winning. I think Gonzaga is beatable. I just don't think Creighton or Ohio is going to be the one to do it. If it I wasn't, think- if it wasn't for the craziness of this tournament, I would, you know, go with my gut and say that Gonzaga is going to advance and probably to the Final Four. But considering all that's been going on at this point. I feel more confident picking the underdog than I do the number one seed because any given game has a perfect bracket. Right now, I see Gonzaga and Creighton as my Sweet 16 matchup. So we'll see what happens between Creighton and Ohio. But I see Creighton going through. But see, I don't know, man. I feel like after watching Gonzaga and then watching Baylor, I'm like, Baylor is the better team. I think Baylor is a better team than Gonzaga. I chose Gonzaga to win the bracket um, just off of that. I think. I see that as the final. That's going to be the final. But, dude, Baylor is so much faster and stronger than everybody else in that side of the bracket. I forgot who they were playing the other day. Oh, they were playing Wisconsin and Poor Wisconsin, man, because they got run out the gym. Davion Mitchell, Baylor's point guard, is legit the quickest player on the floor. I will put him up against anybody else in the NCAA tournament left. He's the fastest player on the uh, on the floor. But the one thing I've noticed from the NCAA tournament is the Pac-12 is running everything. You know, we thought the Big Ten was the real power conference. You know, they had Michigan as the one seed. They had, excuse me, they had Illinois as the one seed. They had Ohio State and Iowa as the two seeds. Well, Illinois is gone. Um, Ohio State's gone. Um, Iowa's gone. So that leaves Michigan and Maryland as the last two teams standing from the Big Ten. Who would have thought Maryland would have been the last two teams left standing from a packed Big Ten conference. But when you look at the Pac-12, you still got Oregon and Oregon State. You got, I believe, I don't think USC is still in, but Colorado, I mean. USC does play Kansas. USC plays Kansas. And USC has a player, Evan Mobley, he is the real deal. He's a seven-footer who can move, man. So the Pac-12 has been running the NCAA tournament, and it's been rather surprising because the Big Ten had the best conference in the regular season. But, of course, none of that regular season stuff matters when you get to the NCAA tournament. And Similar to how they are in college football. Yeah, and, I mean, if I were to give a shout-out real quick, it's got to be the uh, Loyola Chicago, man. Loyola Chicago puts teams in the torture chamber defensively. They gave Illinois all the fits on that side of the ball. They couldn't make a shot. And they're so disciplined. Like, they're going to commit fouls, but they're, they're going to reach for the ball. They're going to get turnovers. They're going to create havoc. And that's going to lead to easy shots for Cameron Crutwig, who looks like he should be like a plumber in, like, Montana. But he's given Illinois buckets. That is a very good team a lot better than that eight seed ranking so that's the ncaa tournament has been fun man i've enjoyed it i've been watching all the games um it's been really great 
you know, I don't know what you guys thought about. What have you guys thought about the NCAA tournament so far? I haven't been able to watch every game this tournament, but I did catch a few. And I'm looking at specifically, I'm pretty sure it was the one involving uh, Syracuse. Uh, yeah. Syracuse, West Virginia? Yeah, I think it was that. Dude, Syracuse, I don't understand. How do teams not be able to break 2-3 zone? Zone is for cowards. I'm not afraid to say that. If you play 2-3 zone or 3-2 zone or 2-1-2, you are a coward because you are afraid that you don't have the good enough dudes to get beat in man-to-man. You don't have a good enough athlete to get beat in man-to-man coverage, so you know what you do? You just put them in the zone. That is cowardly defense. My, my middle school basketball coach would absolutely love what you're saying right now. It is. If it, I were a coach, we're playing full court press, man to man. You get beat. You got it. Okay. I, I remember what I was watching. It was uh, Clemson and Rutgers. Um, that was a good Clemson one. Was a, Clemson let themselves down, bro. They turned that turnover was bad. Yeah. And then I think uh, Rutgers or one of them played Houston. And it came down to like, no, Texas Tech played Houston. And it came down to literally the final shot. And it was a layup right at the rim. And a Texas Tech guard missed it. And I'm like, oh, no, not like this. It was a contested layup. But, man, you got to feel for the dude. But we're going to move on into the NFL. NFL free agency wave one uh, began last week. Some high-profile stuff going on. Um, the New York Jets spending a lot of money. Um, I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Essen, I'll start with you. Who do you think has been the biggest winner from free agency so far? Um, other than the New England Patriots fan base for actually seeing their team sign players and spend money for once. <laughs> I, off the top of my head, I'm – I'm looking at the Giants as a, as a team that's made some, to me, some sensible signings. Um, and also, honestly, Tampa Bay so far. I, I, I know it's a little under the radar, but I mean, to keep Shaquille Barrett, to bring back Gronk, you're bringing back Godwin. I mean, you, and to keep their key players like that. And to stay under the salary cap. That's really it. They stayed yeah. under the salary cap doing all of that stuff. It's and, absolute wizardry. And Stop. another year of Brady. I mean, I, I don't know what's <laughs> going to stop him at this point. They're just going to keep on winning. <laughs> I know that angers a few of our friends. Uh, you know who you are, Jensen. But uh, Richard, who do you think has been the biggest winner so far from free agency for you? Well... I don't really have a exact winner because I haven't really been keeping up with free agency in the NFL that whole lot. But I have I have noticed uh, the signings by the Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Buccaneers. I do like that the Patriots decided to stick with Cam Newton for a for a while longer. I'm just I'm looking at the Dolphins for the most part, and they are adding a more more pieces to the puzzle, and I like to see where they go with that. Yeah, I think the Dolphins have done a kind of weird offseason where they make some good moves, but it's not the splashy moves that you expect. You know, adding Will Fuller on a one-year deal is a really is really good because Will Fuller, 
when he's healthy, is a vertical field stretcher who will allow Tua to push the ball down the field if he chooses to. Um, adding Justin Coleman to that second secondary, which is already loaded, an amazing deal, one-year deal. Um, if I were to choose a winner from free agency, I got to go with the New York Jets, man. They have had an amazing free agency period under Robert Sala. They brought in Corey Davis from the Tennessee Titans, a receiver who I think can be a very solid wide receiver two, maybe a wide receiver one. You can bring him in. Um, they brought in Carl Lawson from um, Cincinnati on a great deal. I think he's going to do amazing in Robert Sala's defense. They brought in Sheldon Richardson, which I think is really interesting because Sheldon Richardson is a guy who plays really well when he's healthy on the interior of the defensive line. In Robert Sala's base 4-3, cover three defense, you need to get good pass rush. A good defensive line is more important than a good secondary. Because if you can get pressure, none of that, none of who's in the secondary is really going to matter that much because you can affect the run game and passing game. What Robert Sala has been doing in uh, New York has been great because they're trying to rebuild back around whoever's going to be at quarterback. I don't think it's going to be Sam Darnold, but I really do think the Jets have won so far. So we've talked about our winners. We obviously have to talk about losers. And I'll start off my losers basically by saying, Las Vegas, what are you doing? Raiders, man. What did, the Raiders saw that they were involved in rumors for Russell Wilson and were like, yeah, we're going to go the opposite way. But one of the reasons Russell Wilson was asked to be traded was because he wanted to go to a team with a good offensive line. The Raiders had a very good offensive line. So you know what they did? They released, they traded their starting center. They traded their starting right tackle. They only kept the left tackle. The, the right guard, gone. So they literally have maybe four, three or four of their starting five, gone. That's obviously a plan for success, you know? And you would think, like, yeah, you're going to invest that into the defense, which was really bad last year. Or you're going to invest in getting some good offensive linemen. No, they, bought, they got a running back. Kenyon Drake and not saying Kenyon Drake is bad but paying him 14 million dollars a year when you have Josh Jacobs it doesn't make that much sense to me I mean Kenyon Drake is gonna, probably gonna be a valuable addition to that team but the allocation of funds can be done a lot better and it's really an indictment on who, who runs that front office uh, Mike Mayock and John Gruden both came straight from TV back into the league and you're kind of seeing that now with the Raiders kind of strategy and game planning, because um, I can pull it up real quick, but remember that trade they did for Khalil Mack? Mm. Yeah. When they traded him to the bears. Yeah. When they traded him to the bears. So we're looking back at the 2018 trade that sent Khalil Mack to the bears. The Bears received Khalil Mack and a 2022nd round pick and a 2027th round pick. The Raiders got the 2019 first round pick, 2019 sixth round pick, 2020 first round pick, 2023rd round pick. Those picks turned out to be Josh Jacobs, cornerback, Blesswan Austin, cornerback, Damon Arnett, and receiver Brian Edwards. 
only one of those players has panned out so far. And it's really an indictment, like I said, on John Gruden and Mike Mayock. Cause like, dude, what are you doing? This is not, this is not smart. And, you know, they just had a terrible, not terrible off season, because I mean, if we want to talk about terrible off seasons, I think we also have to talk about the Chicago bears, but I'll get into them after I talk about every, well, I'll let you guys talk about who you thought have lost, has lost so far in free agency. Eston, who do you think has lost in free agency so far? You know, if you consider Andy Dalton an upgrade to Mitch Trubisky, you... I mean, he is. <laughs> he is an upgrade. He's an upgrade from Mitch Trubisky. I mean, you can upgrade from garbage to getting a nicer trash can. Like, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> Look. It may, I, smell, it may smell better, but it's still trash at the end of the day. I don't think that Andy Dalton is, like, that terrible. I just think this is an indictment on the Bears because they could have had Andy Dalton last year. But they got Nick Foles. And now they're trying to trade Nick Foles. <laughs> and you know what happened with the Bears? Because they signed Andy Dalton to that contract, they had to cut their Pro Bowl corner, who immediately went and signed with the Broncos less than 24 hours after he was cut. That's not good business. Ryan Pace, the Bears GM, should have been fired after 2018. Ooh, <laughs> he should have been gone. Can, because there's no way they're letting this dude run a franchise. Every move has been the wrong move. He hasn't built the offensive line. The one thing he's done right is he got Cleo Mack and he got he franchise tagged Allen Robinson. But what he's done at the quarterback position deserves to get him fired. You were saying about the Bears? I I also think too, um, besides the the Bears who are completely wasting what I it, at one point would consider a Super Bowl caliber defense. Um, for me, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Dolphins fan, but seeing the the signings that the Patriots have made. I'm really conflicted because on one hand, I think they've made some sensible signings. For example, re-signing David Andrews, bringing in Devon Gottschalk from Miami um, on a relatively cheap deal for someone who I think can be a, around the top 15 defensive tackle in the league and signing someone like Kyle Van Noy. I think that was a pretty decent pickup. But to then sign Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith on – paying them both 12 mil a year i aim i just don't see it especially considering hunter henry's injury problems in the past and signing someone like jalen mills they got him on a decent deal but then again signing nelson Aguilar, they're really paying 11 mil to someone who's gonna get the best drops in the league like good good for them i can't the wait best to drops. <laughs> i this is probably not going to be very popular nelson Aguilar didn't play bad last year he had a very solid season and now he's gonna drop his passes because he got his bag like he made the business million, decision i don't think 13 million a year is good for nelson Aguilar. well it's great for nelson Aguilar. go get yeah. your money man i don't think it's good for the patriots what I will say about them signing both tight ends as a Jaguars fan, I was not happy when they did that because I wanted one of those guys on the Jaguars, at least one. But, you know, it reminds me of back when 
the Patriots were like this dominant offensive force when they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. I'm not saying that Hunter Henry is a Rob Gronkowski clone. I don't think Jonu Smith is an Aaron Hernandez clone. I hope he's not an Aaron Hernandez clone. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Moving on. But I I think Josh McDaniels, who was the offensive coordinator then, can use the same type of offense that he did with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, and it will make Cam Newton's job a lot easier. I don't think they're done adding. I think their defense is going to get a huge boost from having most of those guys return from opting out, although Patrick Chung retired. I think they're going to get a huge boost. I, I don't know if I'm buying into the offseason because, you know, the reason that they spent this much money is because they were not good last year. And they can't draft. I'm, I'm like, we, I'm sorry. We I'm... say that now, but New England's going to trade up and draft Justin Fields. That is a thing that is going to happen. I can, I can already tell. Can't wait to see his mid-quarterback skills with a uh, – okay. What we're not going to do is call Justin Fields mid because he's not mid, I don't think. In fact, if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this draft, Justin Fields would be the number one pick. If Trevor Lawrence didn't exist, Justin Fields would be the best quarterback in this draft. He's going to be but high tier mid. He's not – I don't think he's high tier mid. <laughs> I really don't because he's he's really good. Like he's high tier mid, mid, not not (laughs) you know, you know who's mid? Mac Jones is mid. But everybody else above Mac Jones is gonna be a very good quarterback in the NFL. I think the Patriots are going to trade up because a lot of talk has shown that. Justin Fields is being the fourth quarterback drafted after Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. That is perfect for the Patriots who can trade up and draft Justin Fields, who people have said reminds them a lot of a young Cam Newton. So have fun with that while the Jaguars draft the next coming of Peyton Manning. And not to talk, not to turn this into the Jaguars podcast, but I think the Jaguars had a fine offseason. Um, nothing really to write home about. Um, I'll get into it more later, but m- missing out on those tight ends hurt really bad. Um, moving on to the NBA. It is, man, it's been kind of tough because, you know, uh, we just got news yesterday. LaMelo Ball is going to be out for the season. Fractured wrist. LeBron's going to be out indefinitely, uh, messed up ankle. KD is out, Embiid's injured, Anthony Davis is injured. All the good players are injured. We're still in a pandemic. This just feels like a season that is lost. But if we're going to discuss so far what's been going on in the NBA, you know, man, what team so far has surprised you or disappointed you? at this stage in the season. Richard, what team has surprised you? Well, that's that name still goes to the Knicks for obvious reasons. As in the last episode, we talked about the Knicks. They are still going at it with Coach Tom Thibodeau. That defense is still elite, and Julius Randle is getting triple doubles somehow. He's just dropping everybody off as he sees them. I know, man. 
Julius Randle's been having a season for the ages. And it's crazy because, like we said before, this is his eighth season in the NBA. You normally don't see the breakout this late. And also, shout out to the Hawks for bouncing back as they're on a very good winning streak. Yeah, that was going to be my team that surprised me. The eight Atlanta Hawks. Wins. They got eight straight wins after firing Lloyd Pierce. Nate McMillan proving that he should have never been fired by the Pacers. That <laughs> is a whole other discussion for another time. But I really do think the Hawks have really impressed me with how they rebounded after uh, firing their head coach. Again, it just shows Nate McMillan one of the better coaches in the league. Eston, what team has surprised you so far? Phoenix Suns. Um, I I expected them to be a pretty decent team coming into the season, but to be second in the West at this point in the, in the season, um, I think that they're really going to capitalize on the injuries to LeBron and AD. Um, they're eight and two in their last 10, and I honestly did not even – I'm sorry. I was just looking at the roster, but the, I mean, the Suns led by Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who, and, and for Devin Booker, actually, Chris Paul too, quietly, some of the best players in the league for, for quite a while, I would say, especially Chris Paul. Yeah. Chris Paul um, just recently, yesterday, uh, notched his 10,000th career assist, joining uh, Mark Jackson, Steve Nash, Magic Johnson, and John Stockton. Mm. Only, only time you're going to hear about Mark Jackson on an all-time list. A leader in all-time assists. I don't think he's going to catch John Stockton because although Chris Paul is at 10,000, John Stockton leads in career assists with 15,000, over 15,000 assists. It would take a Herculean effort for him to reach John Stockton, although I want to see it. It's also kind of funny that uh, Steve Nash has literally one more assist than Mark Jackson. If it were me, I'd unretire, go get those two assists, and then retire. I'm being <laughs> all the way petty. This is mine. I'm Mark Jackson, dude. I'm not going to make the Hall of Fame. Let me have this. <laughs> With all due respect. With all due respect to Mark Jackson, you're not making the Hall, buddy. <laughs> let, let him have this. But, you know, we're going to talk about disappointing teams. And I feel like there's a big Richard, know, Richard knows who my disappointing team. Richard knows who Richard's disappointing team is. I feel like Eston knows who the disappointing team is. Let's all just laugh at the Celtics, man. I mean, seriously. Let's let's talk about it. Because I think it was like 2016 or 2017. They were one game away from making the finals. And everybody was like, Boston is the next big thing. What has happened since then? They've been blown out by Milwaukee in the playoffs. They've been, they've lost to Miami in the conference finals. They were, every time a player is, gets traded, it's always Boston was close to doing this. Then why didn't you do it? Boston is becoming the most excuses team I have ever seen in my life. And frankly, the, the excuses don't work anymore. You have two all-stars and you are below the Hawks and the Heat and the Heat haven't even had a full roster for the whole season. Like Jimmy Butler didn't play like at least 15 games. Bam has, Bam has been injured. Dry has been injured. And the Celtics, again, two all-stars. They were thought before the season, be one of those teams who can challenge for the East. 
and they are nowhere near that. Like they have been dysfunctional on the court. Kimball Walker has not been what they thought he was. They have no big man. And again, I don't want to hear anything from Danny Ainge ever again. You keep talking about how you were almost going to get James Harden. You almost had him. You were almost going to get Anthony Davis. You almost had him. I think um, they've been tied to Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon recently. You almost had him, but you didn't get him. You want to know why? Because Boston is not good. There. Boston sucks. <laughs> They're not a good team this year. Like, it's hilarious to me how you can go from having two all-stars, being in the conference finals, to literally losing to Cleveland. And that's not saying, like, Cleveland's bad. Cleveland's had a good season. But, you, again, you expect Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to do their thing, and they have. But you paid a hundred-something million dollars for Kemba Walker. And what has he done? Not a single thing, man. But honestly, I'm just laughing, man. It's all jokes over here. I mean, Richard, go ahead, talk about your Celtics. But let it be known that by the end of the season, I think Brad Stevens is going to be coaching uh, the University of Indiana. <laughs> uh, low key, I think so too. Brad might go to Indiana. He, he's denying it. But really, he wants, we, he wants to go back home. We know. We get that feeling. You can deny it all you want, but we know. We yeah. know. Yep. Okay, aside from Boston, the biggest elephant in the room, the Rockets. How well, I can't, are you going to lose I can't. 20 straight games? Why are you trying to give me 2012 Charlotte Bobcats vibes with this type of losing streak? I can't really blame the Rockets, dog. And I really can't blame Steven, I really can't blame Steven Silas, you know, because they expected to come into this season with Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, James Harden, PJ Tucker. Three of those guys are gone. Christian Wood was out for like 15 games. That's yeah. like their best player, most consistent player. They they still have solid players in John Wall, Victor Oladipo, and wow, I'm just shocked. 20 straight losses. I mean. Are we really shocked? Are I we, didn't expect them to lose 20 straight. Are, are we seriously shocked, though? 20 straight. Again, what did we expect from Houston? <laughs> they, got, they got John Wall. Cool. You expected John Wall to come back to being John Wall no. after having a catastrophic lower leg injury for like three straight years. Of course not, but 20 straight losses? That team's not good. Imagine, <laughs> leaving, do that. imagine leaving one terrible team just to think you're about to be on a really good team and then get yeah, into worst. They situation. were a good team. They were a good team when they had James Harden. But, like, that, that's what I'm saying. Imagine thinking for once you're about to be on a good team. And then that player that made that team good gets shipped off, and then you're back to square one again. He didn't get shipped off. He forced himself out. I really, I really just feel bad for Steven Silas, man. Yeah. This is a lot even for him to handle. He was in the post game, just it was sad because this is not 
what you wanted as a first year head coach. And, you know, you're probably going to see those rumors about Steven Silas maybe getting fired at the end of the season, but this is not on him. None of this is on him. He's done everything he could with what he had. And, you know, 20 straight is bad. It really is. But they don't have two all-stars and are below the Hawks in the heat. So. Oh, God. Oh, God. I will never, ever let this go. I just got it. it. I just got it. It's hilarious to me. I will continue laughing. It's I mean, seriously. They when you're making Hornets goodbye. Oh, God. <laughs> but, you know, speaking more a little about the NBA, it is trade deadline, trade season, str- swiftly approaching. Uh, Richard, who do you expect to be shipped out by the end of this week? I don't really know, man. Um, I hear about Toronto. <laughs> Maybe. Toronto's just been weird. Yeah, they're on an eight-game losing streak. Like, they've been 500. Then they went on an eight-game losing streak. So, I don't know what's really going on with them. But I hear about the Raptors being in the trade deadline. And this trade deadline has been very quiet. I haven't heard much. You know, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot about Kyle Lowry. Um, I've heard a lot from the Magic. Magic have especially oh, yeah, been, Depot you know, from Rockets from the Rockets. Yeah. I've heard a lot from the Magic with specifically Aaron Gordon, who requested a trade, uh, I believe it was yesterday or today. And I'm gonna eat crow on this because every year I talk myself into the Orlando Magic. And every year they disappoint me. I don't know what to expect now. Every year it's the same thing with the Orlando Magic. And I'm not even like a Magic fan, I'm a Heat fan. But I really just want Orlando to be good. I think they have the pieces there. They just need one, they need a few more things. And you know, it's sad because you're wasting Nikola Vucevic, who is an all-star. <laughs> but he plays in Orlando, so he never really gets that notoriety. Now, I've seen that Boston is linked to Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon. Go ahead and do it. If you're Danny Ainge, what do you have to lose? I mean, I've seen rumors that Orlando has wanted Jalen Brown in that package with Aaron Gordon and the Orlando Magic. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's a little too much there. But if I'm Miami, I'm looking at Vucevic too. I'm saying, hey, look, what can we get to keep him in state? Send him to Miami. Because Vucevic will be a pretty interesting uh, addition alongside Bam Adebayo. You know, it'd be fun because what Vucevic lacks in quickness and really like above the rim, like explosion. That's what Bam Adebayo does. And what Bam Adebayo lacks right now is a true post game, although it's still developing. That's what, that's what Nikola Vucevic does. So that's really kind of my, I expect Aaron Gordon to be traded by the end of this week. I expect for there to be a um, LaMarcus Aldridge buyout by the end of this week. But really the big fish is definitely gonna be Kyle Lowry and whatever happens with the uh, Raptors. Uh, Eston, what do you think so far? Well, first off, if we weren't limited to um, certain words on the show, 
I would use a certain Pat Riley quote that he said to Danny Ainge one time about Danny Ainge talking about like him wanting to get Aaron Gordon and thinking that, you know, he's going to build this really good team. Sorry, sorry, Richard. Danny Ainge is more overrated than Doc Rivers is as a coach. Um, and, but besides that, all I mean, jokes aside. to be fair, the, the last great trade from Danny Ainge was in 2013. So I, I get the, I get you your, know what's crazy? I get your point. You know what's crazy about that trade? Cause I think you're talking about the Nets trade, right? That, yes. The picks the that Nets are closer to the finals than the Celtics are. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the awesome. Nets traded away literally every draft pick for the next 15 years to the Celtics. And Celtics have turned that into zero finals appearances, zero championships. You made two conference finals and you have two all-stars. Actually, no. Congratulations. 2017, oh, 2019, 2020. So that's three. It so. made three years. You made it and then didn't do anything. Brooklyn gets <laughs> takes their lack of draft picks and turns it into Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden and says, screw you. Blake Griffin. <laughs> Blake Griffin dunked. Dude, I was shocked. They one. gave him the super soldier serum when they got the Brooklyn. <laughs> they must have like, they gave him the uh, vaccine already. They they gave him the vaccine. They're like, this is gonna help you out, buddy. And he went and dunked. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like an explosive like windmill we're expecting to see from Blake Griffin, but he got up there and he hung on the rim, and it was it was good to see. Except for like if you're a Detroit fan, which thoughts and prayers. But you know, it's gonna be a really interesting trade deadline because there are a lot of teams that are looking to sell high. And there are some teams that really could use a lot of trade pieces, you know, like Miami, like Boston. I've seen the Lakers potentially be involved with some trades. It's going to be important for Los Angeles because they're going to go into a period without LeBron and Anthony Davis. Which Don't you mean LeBron wanting a trade instead of just the Lakers? Well, see, it's not, I don't think it's just LeBron. I think the Lakers see that this roster outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis, I don't think he's going to win them games. And it looks like Anthony Davis and LeBron are going to be out for extended periods of time. So they need something to hold them over. At least like they need someone to drive the boat. They don't have to, they don't have to like turn or anything. Just steer the boat. Don't, don't turn left. Don't turn right. Just go straight. It's like when you learning how to drive, they, they don't throw everything at you on the first day. They just say, just put your foot on the gas. It's, it's easy. But we're going to go back to college basketball because I forgot to mention that in our breaks between shows, we did our bracket for the, the uh, university press. And <laughs> it's been quite an interesting bracket, you know. I'm, I'm laughing a lot at this uh, tournament bracket. Um, so far, uh, the University Press bracket has um, Creighton winning the, the uh, NCAA tournament championship. 
So far, we have gotten 4% of the games right. 4%. But the ones that we did get right, we got Oregon right so far. Um, uh, let's see. We got North Texas right. That's shocking to me. Based off um, the color. Yeah. Uh, we got Loyola. We didn't get Loyola Chicago right because we thought Drexel was going to be Illinois. Thank you to the University Press. Um, we've gotten Syracuse right so far. <laughs> so we've gotten 4% of the games correct. I knew there was like, there was one upset in here that I was like genuinely shocked that we got right. Um, Oral Roberts. We got Oral Roberts right. And we got Oregon State right. So we picked a lot of the upsets, but past that point, like I said, 4% of the games have been correct. That's going to do it for our NCAA tournament coverage. Like we said, the University Press bracket has been right 4% of the time. But of those 4%, we got North Texas right. We got Oral Roberts right. So shout out to the staff members of the University Press who chose Oral Roberts because of their name. But that'll do it for this wonderful episode of the University Press, You Press Play Sports Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify and Twitter at Online. Give us five stars. If you don't give us five stars, we're going to think you're a hater. Uh, we're going to make Esther really sad. You're going to make Jewel sad. And for that, we're going to send Big Red out to get you. For business manager Esther Parker, for sports editor Richard Pereira, I am for photo editor Esther Parker, for sports editor Richard Pereira, I'm business manager Joseph Acosta. Oh boy, we've had a great show. Uh, make sure to stop by again, listening on our FAU Al Radio Wednesdays from 12 to 1. That'll do it for this episode. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, bye.